Did we just witness the greatest wrestling match of all time? You're about to find out. What's up, folks? Fred Ricciani, TSC, your home for sports news updates, interviews, and everything in between. If you're new here, please consider subscribing. Before we dive into this recap, it's been roughly a couple of weeks since I've been live on YouTube, on Facebook for you guys. Obviously, the world has changed drastically. Uh, lots of going on. To be completely honest with y'all, I feel like pro wrestling, I feel like sports, I feel like what I do on here is so insignificant compared to what's going on out there in the real world. So we want to do our best to promote Black Lives Matter causes, any causes that can help out people. So just real quick, if you visit blacklivesmatters.card.co, I linked it in the description. I linked it on this video and I linked it, of course, in the comments as well. You can find all kinds of resources to donate to the George Floyd GoFundMe, to donate to Black Lives Matter, to various bail bonds, legal defense funds. Me personally, I recently donated to the Minnesota Freedom Fund, along with the KnowYourRightsCamp.com legal defense fund, which is uh, Colin Kaepernick's legal defense fund. So yeah, man, just uh, a lot going on. Obviously, we want to be sensitive to everything that, that, that that's happening right now. We stand with our black brothers and sisters, Black Lives Truly Matter. And uh, for everybody going, out, going through it right now, man, not just with racism and, and systemic white supremacy, but with unemployment, over 40 million people unemployed, with COVID-19 continuing to break out in the U.S. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a bad time for a lot of people, especially black people right now. So I just want to send a shout out to everybody. I love you guys. I thank you so much for support. I know there's so much going on. So the fact that you're taking the time to watch and listen to me right now means the world to me. So thank you guys. I love you guys. And obviously no easy transition. So let's just uh, dive right into WWE Backlash. So if you want to follow along my live report, you could do so on fredrichani.com. That's our new website, my personal website, where we post uh, various news and stuff. It's right on the front page. But WWE Backlash took place uh, two nights, June 14th, 2020 at the WWE Performance Center. And it was headlined by Edge versus Randy Orton in the supposed greatest wrestling match ever. Now, on paper, that sounds ridiculous, right? No offense to Edge, no offense to Randy Orton. But that's like the equivalent of, I don't know, that's like the equivalent of saying Shaq versus Hakeem Olajuwon is the battle of the greatest basketball players ever. Now, they are two of the greatest basketball players ever, but you wouldn't put them necessarily in the same category as Michael Jordan and LeBron or Michael Jordan and, and Kobe or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell. You, you just wouldn't. There's a slight tier below that. There's nothing wrong with that. They're still all-time greats, but the marketing felt just a tad bit bizarre. But I got to say, the match delivered. Is it one of the greatest wrestling matches of all time? I don't know. That's subjective. Is it one of the best WWE matches of all time? That's also debatable. But as far as recent WWE matches, definitely one of the best. As somebody that's a big fan of Randy Orton when he's on and on his game. As a huge Edge fan growing up, dating back to the 90s. Uh, I loved this match. I thought it was great. We'll start with the main event. This match went on for, I think, over a half hour, 40 minutes. The announcers hyped it up saying it's going to have unique camera cuts and enhanced sound and everything else, uh, which meant essentially more gimmicks to kind of mask the fact that this match was pre-recorded. But man, these guys left it all out there. It's kind of sad to hear that Edge uh, apparently suffered a, a triceps injury. 
It's unknown if it's a torn triceps, but Fightful.com reports it was a triceps injury, and unfortunately, given Edge's age and everything, he could be out the rest of the year, which would suck. Although, it doesn't really suck. I mean, if you think about it, Edge had a hell of a match here. He had a successful WrestleMania comeback, and he had an epic Royal Rumble comeback in front of an actual crowd. So, hey, he did get paid, and you know what? Maybe by the time he can actually come back safely, he can actually wrestle in front of people. Who knows? I mean, ugh, with the way COVID's going. So, hell of a match. Uh, Edge got the upper hand early with some arm drags. Orton worked on Edge's injured neck. Uh, they stare each other down. There's some, st- I wouldn't even call it stalling here. It's a lot of psychology, very technical based, athletic based, like based on athleticism. A uh, lot of reversals. These guys tried everything in the book. We saw a rock bottom from Edge, a pedigree uh, from Orton. Edge attempted a sharpshooter. Edge hit an unprettier shades of Christian. Both men kicked out of multiple spears, multiple RKOs. But you know what? The, the, the moves were so spread out. The spots were so spread out that it didn't feel like they were spamming moves, if that makes sense. Like a lot of times you'll see a great match and these guys and guys will just spam their finishers. So, you know, uh, one guy will hit a moonsault. Another guy hit a moonsault. Another guy hits this. Another guy hits that. Kick out here. Kick out there. I remember... A few years back, I was live at WrestleMania 29 for Rock and Cena. And granted, The Rock was injured in the match, so I probably played a part in it. But my God, it was just like a rock bottom, then an FU, then a rock bottom, an attitude adjustment. They literally just kept trading their trademark moves. And it it was just like, okay, like we're just going to kick out of trademark moves for 15 straight minutes. It was kind of wacky. But with this match, I mean, they spread it out really well. Uh, There were so many great reversals. There was one spot where Orton went for his trademark dropkick and Edge caught him out of nowhere with the powerbomb. There was a a point in time where Randy Orton was going for the three amigos, the Eddie Guerrero consecutive suplexes. And as he was going for the third one, Edge reversed and hit three amigos of his own. Uh, Randy Orton hit a superplex at one point. He tried a superplex onto the outside. Edge headbutted him and Orton got busted open. They exchanged cross faces, uh, different submissions. There was the arm triangle, the, the what is it called? The venom, the snake repellent, whatever it's called. The 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 poison trapper. I don't know. The 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 viper killer, whatever that arm triangle choke is that Edge had, that that Orton uh, reversed out of at the end of the match. Hit the punt. I repeat, the Orton punt, not the RKO for the win. I believe that's the first win Orton's gotten with the punt since I believe he wrestled Big Show in 2013. If I recall correctly, I think it was. Survivor Series 2013. So, been quite a long time. Fun fact, this is also Edge's first straight-up, one-on-one wrestling match with no gimmicks since, I believe, WrestleMania 27 against Alberto Del Rio for the World Heavyweight Championship, which, of course, he did win in his final official singles match before retiring the first time. So, hell of an effort by both men. Uh, I love this match. Yes, the WWE hyperbole sucked. Yes, it was kind of awkward that it sounded like we got some piped-in music, like WB2K. You're not piped-in music, I'm sorry. Piped-in crowd noise, like WB2K. Like, you hear, like, the... Uh, like, I don't know if you ever played WB2K before, but there's times where the crowd will just randomly blurt out, this is awesome. This is awesome. It's just, like, it's so Pavlovian. It's so wacky. Not as wacky here, uh, but, you know, oddly enough, I don't know. I kind of didn't mind it. For me, I guess, because it's been so long since I've, since I've seen, like, wrestling in front of a real crowd... It was actually kind of nice to hear crowd noise. It was actually kind of nice to hear the NXT paid hostages. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I mean, paid wrestlers who are posing as fans at ringside be genuinely excited for something. This is really good because I got, I got to tell you something. 
up until the WWE title match and this main event, Backlash was a completely skippable show. I mean, skippable in all caps, a complete waste of time. But man, Edge and Orton, my main man, Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley, they saved this freaking show. So yes, Randy Orton got the win in the supposed greatest wrestling match of all time. If it's the greatest wrestling match to you, hey, be my guest. It's all subjective, but I got to say, if you throw out all the garbageness of, of the marketing of this match, if you throw out all these stupid Deadly B tropes and their programming, all, all the tasteless angles, and take away all the dumb Vince McMahon stuff he's done, especially tonight with the racist Akira Tozawa angle, which we'll go over in a second, uh, this was a great match. This in a vacuum was a fantastic match. If you put this in front of a real crowd of not paid hostages and paying fans, this would have been considered epic. I thoroughly enjoyed this match. So massive, massive thumbs up to Edge versus Randy Orton. And I sincerely hope Edge isn't seriously injured. It sounds like he is. Uh, but man, if this is his last match for a while, at least for the rest of the year, what a match for him, man. Really, really good stuff here uh, by Edge. By the way, folks, if you happen to be watching live on Facebook or YouTube, please feel free to give this video a like, a thumbs up, share this with all your friends, follow and subscribe. And if you're listening on the podcast feed, we appreciate it and we would appreciate it if you gave us a nice review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, so let's see what else we got here. Of course, let's start with the beginning of the show. Andrade versus Apollo Crews has moved to the kickoff. They had a, a decent match. Apollo Crews got the win. Angel Garza, Angel Garza, however the hell you pronounce his name. I, I like Angel better, but whatever. He tried to interfere. Kevin Owens got the upper hand outside. And then Apollo Crews got the win on Andrade, much to the dismay of Zelina Vega. We opened the pay-per-view with... The Women's Tag Team Championships, Sasha Banks and Bailey defeated Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross, and the Iconics. Uh, Banks got the pin on Alexa Bliss after she hit the Twisted Bliss on Royce. Decent match, nothing spectacular, but the right team did win. WWE Extreme Rules at the pay-per-view is confirmed for Sunday, July 19th, probably at the Performance Center. It's the night where WWE goes extreme. Sheamus defeated Jeff Hardy. Another solid match, but nothing spectacular. And it really didn't need the tasteless storyline surrounding this match, which was Sheamus constantly making fun of Jeff Hardy's drug issues, allegedly drugging him up, causing him to, or no. So if you're not following the storyline, apparently Sheamus drugged up Hardy, ran over Elias, framed Jeff Hardy to get arrested, substituted for Jeff Hardy in the Intercontinental title tournament, got distracted by Hardy and lost anyway. And then made Jeff Hardy take a piss test on SmackDown only to get the fake piss thrown in his face. So dumb. This is just so dumb, so unnecessary. They won't mention COVID-19 whatsoever. They won't say the phrase Black Lives Matter. They won't even say the, say the phrase Trans Lives Matter. They won't mention anything about Pride Month. They won't openly acknowledge their gay characters who are openly gay in real life who want to use their... Not used, but you know, essentially be known as gay characters because they're gay in real life. Like, to like Tony Atlas. Jake Atlas. Jake Atlas is an openly gay wrestler. He was just covered in People magazine. Okay? Major press. He's talked in promos on TV uh, about, you know, being a great representative and everything else. Yet they never reference what he's actually trying to represent. 
They do the same thing with Darren Young. They'll beat around the bush left and right. They'll avoid the topic. But, but when it comes to exploiting somebody's drug issues, when it comes to exploiting somebody's real life arrests, hey, let's do that. Positively using your platform to support LGBTQ community and Black Lives Matter? No. Using your platform to exploit Jeff Hardy, a recovering addict? Sure. That's Vince McMahon logic. It makes no damn sense, but what do you expect? The guy is not a classy human being whatsoever, so F him. We had Nia Jax versus Asuka. They went to a double countout. I did not like this match. It was okay while it lasted, but it went to a double countout when they were brawling outside. Asuka hit a head kick, got back to the ring, but it was too late, so I guess they're going to be wrestling at Extreme Rules, so ugh, this feud must continue. I have a feeling Charlotte Flair might be involved because Charlotte Flair did inexplicably pin Asuka on Monday night, which means that Flair's probably challenging for the Raw Women's title, which means she's probably not coming back to NXT, which means what the hell was the point of her beating Rhea Ripley, holding the women's title, beating Bianca Belair, and burying everybody beneath the face of the earth? I don't know. Clearly not the ratings because the ratings are in the 600,000 range, so... She didn't do squad douche for the ratings. Although, in fairness to her, nobody is right now for WWE or AEW during this pandemic. We got highlights of AJ Styles defeating Daniel Bryan on SmackDown to win the IC title. Caleb Braxton interviewed Styles backstage, who said that there will be a phenomenal Intercontinental Championship celebration. So that's cool, I guess. And then we had the second best match of the night, maybe the best, depending on who you ask. Drew McIntyre defeated Bobby Lashley to retain the WWE title. I loved this match. This was Lashley's first WWE title match since his loss to John Cena at Great American Bash on July 22nd, 2007. Long time ago, but folks. So Lashley attacked McIntyre before the bell and locked on the full Nelson. Lashley eventually broke the hold. McIntyre said, screw it, let's fight because he is a fighting champion. Uh, three minutes in, and McIntyre still couldn't get his jacket off. In fact, Lashley ripped it off. McIntyre hit a Northern Lights suplex for a near fall. Lashley worked on the neck to set up another full Nelson opportunity. And Lashley's wife, Lana, was watching backstage. More on that in a second. So they brawled outside. McIntyre started to gain some momentum. Uh, Lashley slammed McIntyre. One count. Flatliner by Lashley. One count. Another kick out by McIntyre at one. MVP is losing his mind. Lashley tries to lock in the full Nelson, but McIntyre breaks out. Lashley went on the middle rope, beating down McIntyre in the corner. But oof, McIntyre hit a huge reverse Alabama slam for a two count. That should really be an alternate finish. That thing looks badass. Lashley locked in a cross face. McIntyre escaped and almost hit a tombstone. It was very wacky. Lashley reversed into an ankle lock. McIntyre countered with a Kimura. Really weird BJJ uh, MMA exchange there, but it worked. So there you go. McIntyre hit a superplex on Lashley and kipped up. Lashley hit a spear, but only got a two count. And then we got a very lame finish. Ugh. Lana walks out, inexplicably gets on the apron, argues with MVP, argues with Lashley. McIntyre hits a headbutt. Knocks Lashley into Lana, who falls on top of MVP outside. McIntyre hits the Claymore kick. One, two, three, and McIntyre retains. Now, look, I'm a huge, huge fan of both these guys. And I don't necessarily mind McIntyre winning here, but the finish was lame. And on top of that, while WWE couldn't have predicted this, 
The reality is, right now, we are going through an incredible civil rights movement. And while Bobby Lashley is technically a heel, you are in a position right now where you can crown a black world champion. That's just a black world champion. A credible main event black world champion. Not This isn't throwing Jinder Mahal into the main events after being a jobber for five years. Like, no, Bobby Lashley is a stud. Bobby Lashley's had momentum. It's been clicking on all cylinders for him. 43 years old, and this dude's clicking on all cylinders. He's he's a physical marvel. He's a creative marvel. It's finally clicking for him, although it did click an impact, but it's finally clicking for him right now in WWE. You had the opportunity to put him over, and you, you didn't do it. Now, they could still do a rematch at Extreme Rules. Maybe they do an angle on Raw where Lashley breaks up with Lana, and then you could finally just do Lashley versus McIntyre straight up. This was such an awesome match. It didn't need any tomfoolery. It really didn't need any BS. This was great work from both men. I don't want to take away anything from them, but the finish was kind of lame. That being said, if you didn't watch this match, go out of your way too. We saw a, a little bit of different from Drew McIntyre with the submissions and everything else. These two guys, great workers, thoroughly enjoyed it up until the finish. But I really do hope that this is not the end of Bobby Lashley as a world title challenger. I think this is further proof that he should have been in the main event mix from the beginning from the start since coming back to WWE a couple years ago. And I hope, given the fact that Bobby Lashley, even without this current climate, is clicking on all cylinders, you know, I really do hope at some point they give him the world title because, I mean, this dude's just awesome. An MVP, great talker, a fantastic manager. He's really carved a a new niche for himself as a talker, maybe even a commentator down the road. Just great work from all involved, other than Lana, but hey, it's not Lana's fault that she was booked to be a part of a, a lame finish. But overall, uh, thumbs up for the match, thumbs down for the particular finish. We were we were supposed to get Street Profits versus the Viking Raiders for Raw Tag Team titles. Hey, they've done a million skits over the last few weeks. Why not finally do a match, right? Well, Vince McMahon said hell no. They had a wacky cinematic brawl backstage. They brawled on top of Braun Strowman's car, uh, which was the same car that was fixed from the Miz and Morrison vandalism, which is pretty funny. And, uh, yeah, there was a, a bowling ball involved. They brawled like crazy. This was embarrassing and stupid. And afterwards, Eric told everybody, let's take it outside. Montez Ford says, or uh, Angela Dawkins, one, one of the prophets, was like, we're already outside. And, and Ivar looked confused, too. Then we got a biker gang, straight out like Fast and Furious or something. L- a ninja biker gang led by Akira Tozawa. Nothing says... We're here from you. Nothing says we're here for you. And Black Lives Matter. And we care about racism. And we care about discrimination. And we care about equality and everything else. Like casting an Asian character as the leader of a ninja biker gang. As the leader of a ninja biker gang in 2020. God bless Tozawa. I'm sure he was cool with it. I know it's an environment where you're not supposed to say no. Uh, maybe he just needs the money, whatever. But my guy, and look, I'm not putting the blame on Tazawa. I put like 0.5% of the blame on Tazawa here. But we're in a climate now where the wrestlers really do have the power. They really do. Between the pandemic, uh, between, you know, WWE needing the wrestlers more than ever, between everything going on outside. Like, and, and for anybody watching and listening to this right now, okay, so especially if you're a person of color, this is the time for you to use your leverage at work, okay? Because all that BS that used to slide at the workplace 
shouldn't be sliding anymore. And you have a real opportunity right now to make sure that that ish doesn't slot. And man, if I'm Tozawa and they tell me, hey man, we're going to make you a, a, a the leader of a Asian ninja biker gang in 2020, I would have told him to piss off. I, I would have told him to piss off. And I, and I hope everybody in WWE, anybody in any other wrestling company, if they're approached with some type of, I don't know, racial skit like this, like they just say no. Just, as Seamus said on Friday, just say no. I mean, come on, man. This was, this was terrible. This is terrible. So the Prophets and the Raiders formed the Viking Prophets. They beat up all the ninjas. Then Tozawa brings in his final boss, this really giant tall ninja. Uh, and, and then they run away. They, they run on top of the Deadly production truck. <laughs> Angelo Dawkins bulldogs Ivar off the truck into a dumpster. Eric throws Montez Ford into a dumpster. This is all real. And then Ivar or Eric, whatever, whichever one, falls into the dumpster. And then uh, the DDB referee, uh, the female referee, forgot what's her name again? Uh, Jessica something, I, th- I think. Jessica Carr. She goes, well, okay. First, we get a flashback of Ivar being called ugly by women uh, during these skits and, and Eric being called cute. So then Jessica, the, the DDB ref, discovers the teams in the dumpster and she says, uh, Eric, you, you're kind of cute. Uh, Ivar, not so much. Now, now we're calling dudes ugly. Okay. And then afterwards we hear a weird growling noise like, and this becomes like a horror movie or, or like a really bad DVD extra of a get out, you know, the Blu-ray version or something, the lost version. And these guys just run away. This was terrible. This is worse than I even described. And if you want to kill some brain cells, be my guest and watch this. But this was terrible and a complete waste of the phenomenal talent you have at all four of these men. Both teams are great. The War Raiders, the Viking Raiders, War Machine, whatever you want to call them, have been one of the best tag teams of the last decade. And they're booked in this crap. Just because Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins are good at comedy doesn't mean you got to book them in comedy Every single week. They're awesome. Montez Ford. This dude could be a future main eventer. He's got the look. He's got that athleticism. Okay. He's he's solid in the ring. He can only get better. And he's in this crap. On top of that, his lovely wife, who's a phenomenally talented wrestler as well, Bianca Belair. Wasn't she supposed to be their manager or something? Nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. So much for that main roster push. So massive thumbs down. Speaking of massive thumbs down, I forgot to mention the crappy DDB title match or DDB Universal title match. I'm sorry, two on one handicap match, uh, which meant that Miz and Morrison had a tag in. They took on Braun Strowman. Yes, DDB had no plans for Braun Strowman when he replaced Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, as evident here. And Braun Strowman destroyed them and got the pin. Uh, they they got the advantage at first, but Braun just roared back. Uh, Miz and Morrison, unlike the Street Profits and Viking Raider stuff are actually really entertaining. Like, really, really entertaining. That being said, guys doing a comedy music video should not be challenging for a WWE Championship immediately after. WWE Universal title. Whatever world title, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. But Braun Strowman got the win. So overall, the last two real matches of this show were more than pay-per-view quality and deserve a massive thumbs up. The rest of the pay-per-view, 
anywhere from average to slightly above average to absolute wrestle crap trash. So let's go to the comments here because I want to hear what everybody else has to say. JP Torres says it would have been the greatest wrestling match ever if it had fans. He's talking about Orton and Edge. That's debatable, but it was awesome, though. Telvin Kipapa says the main event was lit, but Omega versus Okada will always be the greatest match ever. Again, that's subjective. And, you know, I don't know. I, I kind of really enjoyed the uh, Tanaha. I, there's so many great matches, man. I don't know. I don't know. The matches we just saw at Wrestle Kingdom earlier this year, which feels like a lifetime ago before the pandemic. I mean, that those were great matches. The Kota Bushi and Okada match was great. Uh, Tanahashi versus Omega last year was great. I just this is just a lot of great matches, especially in New Japan. Jeremy Bauer says, "I hope MVP starts managing more people." I agree. Uh, WWE Championship match was awesome, a lame finish. Lashley needs to be the destroyer. WWE, I agree. Vince McMahon just discovered Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Yeah, he's only, he's only ten years behind the times as usual. They need to get the world title off of Braun. Yeah, he's just a lame duck champion. I, I remember I called him Le- the Lex Luger of SmackDown. That's an insult to Lex Luger. He's 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 way below a Lex Luger post-losing to Yokozuna. Like, totally. Totally. I, I'm not feeling that at all. Uh, by the way, folks, quick programming note, too. We just uploaded our interview with Debbie Hall of Famer, The Godfather. So if you want to watch or listen to that, that's now on the podcast feed. That's on fredrichani.com. And, of course, it's on this YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the sports courier so man yeah a lot going on uh some other quick news updates sasha banks and bailey will be defending their women's tag team titles against tegan knox and shotzi blackheart on WBNXT this week matt riddle debuts this week on friday night smackdown paul Heyman out as the wwe creative director for raw he had been the head of creative for roughly a year he was appointed june 2019 Lasted a lot longer than Eric Bischoff, who was only there for a couple of months. Bruce Pritchard replaces him and now heads both teams. The creative teams have merged, so Bruce Pritchard will be overseeing Raw and SmackDown. Look, Bruce Pritchard, he's been fired by Debbie twice. He's had his own run-ins with Vince McMahon. He, he's had his bright spots, but he is not exactly somebody you would consider progressive. And that's with respect to him. He's booking what he knows. He's booking on Vince McMahon's best interests. I mean, he's a guy that has been Vince McMahon's right-hand man on and off for 20-something years or so, more than that, you know, between just three stints. But uh, I, I don't think he's really the answer right now. And look, while Raw has definitely been a hit or miss, um, I got to say, uh, you know, at least they were trying to push some younger talent. At least they were trying to make the most out of guys like Apollo Crews and Alistair Black and Umberto Carrillo, among others. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with Vince McMahon, the same Vince McMahon that got bored of Humberto, that got bored of Cedric Alexander, that got bored of Ricochet despite their immense talents. The same guy that's probably going to get bored of Austin Theory and some of these other guys you see. And, uh, you know, time will tell, but I don't think this move is for the better. You th- you'd think you'd think that maybe they'd maybe even promote some of the guys. They're currently producers. Maybe they'd bring back somebody. Maybe they'd bring back Kurt Angle as a consultant. Maybe they'd promote MVP as a consultant. Why not bring in Shane Helms again? Shane Helms was a producer. He was recently furloughed. That guy is a great wrestling mind. He's a guy who worked a lot with... Impact Wrestling Stars when he was there in TNA and got rave reviews. I mean, they have people uh, either within the company or on retainer or something that they could call to bring in that'd be a fresh voice. And instead, Bruce Pritchard, who, again, no matter what you want to say about him, and there's a lot to say about the crappy state of SmackDown, in fairness to him, for a dude that's pushing 60, he's got a massive workload. He's already got a hit podcast he does as well. 
And, uh, you know, obviously he's got a family and everything else, and much like all of us, I mean, look, he's getting paid handsomely, but that's still a large workload for any man. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, good for him. He got a promotion. He probably got a raise. At least I hope he got a raise. But, yeah, uh, I'm not really uh, feeling this move right now. So, yeah, we we, we shall certainly uh, see what happens from there. Uh, Mr. Loki said Asuka didn't get treated great. Yeah, she hasn't been treated great in a while. Like, it's weird, right? She'll get these backhanded moments. She'll win the first ever Women's Royal Rumble, then get interrupted by Ronda Rousey. She'll win the SmackDown Women's title, gets overshadowed by Ronda Rousey. She'll win the uh, Money in the Bank, and then just gets handed the title by, by Becky Lynch, and then gets pinned by freaking Charlotte Flair. Like, over and over again, man. It's it's utterly ridiculous. I'm tired of this. Give Asuka her damn moments, folks. Ugh. Anyway, folks, if you enjoyed this update, please feel free to like, share, take care. Don't forget to subscribe and enable notifications. Again, if you want to amplify all the positive messages of Black Lives Matter, the fundraisers, the education, the protests, everything else, please visit blacklivesmatters.card.co. That's card with two R's. You can also visit blacklivesmatter.com, knowyourrightscamp.com. And of course, if you want the latest wrestling news, visit my new official website, fredrichani.com. That's F-R-E-D-R-I-C-H-N-I.com. Subscribe to the TSC News Podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, everybody, as always, I love y'all. Hang in there. Black Lives Matter.